Well, unfortunately, uh, over the last number of days, we've been hearing about another, yet another hurricane, and there's more coming, and uh, witnessing, you know, a kind of devastation in some ways we never have seen before. Thankfully, we live in a day and age when uh, forecasters see these things coming, and they can predict them. I think it was, what, 10 days ago or so when they first started talking about Hurricane Irma, and, and it's amazing what they can tell you about where it's probably going. And so uh, people can take steps to protect themselves, and wise people do that, right? And so uh, some will evacuate. I think they've said this is maybe the largest evacuation in the history of the United States in terms of a, a hurricane. Uh, some people will find shelter, go to shelters. Uh, others make plans to have what they need, um, given you know, losing power and those kind of things. Wise people will take steps to live in light of future realities, right? Hurricanes coming. A similar thing can be said in the spiritual realm. There are uh, future realities that have been revealed to us that ought to affect how we live in the here and now, that ought to affect how we live in the present. Scripture reveals that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning, and that truth ought to affect how we live in the presence, in the present. Um, Wise people will take steps to live in light of that reality. So that's what we want to look at today. We're continuing our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at uh, the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. It's actually a really big uh, chunk of scripture, so we might not be able to go as deep as we want to sometimes, but uh, I think we'll walk away with some, 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 some insight in terms of what it should mean for us in the here and now, this truth that Jesus is coming back. And so uh, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse Thirteen, And the first truth we see is that Jesus' return gives us hope. Jesus' return gives us hope. Timothy is the one who brought word back to Paul about how things were going with the church in Thessalonica. And he apparently had brought back word that uh, the Thessalonians had concerns about their fellow believers who had already died. They lived in a time where they, they really believed uh, Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And so what's going to happen to those that died? Are they, are they going to miss out in some way? Will they be at some kind of disadvantage because they weren't living at Jesus' return? And so at the end of chapter 4, Paul speaks to those questions. He speaks to those concerns. And in doing so, he helps us understand the hope that we have knowing that Jesus is returning. And so we're going to start in verse 13 here. He says, But we do not want you to be un- uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And so being asleep, it's a euphemism for the, the believer who has died. We, we don't want you to be uninformed about them, because if you're uninformed, you may grieve like those who have no hope. He's, and, and those who have no hope are, are unbelievers. But he's saying, you don't have to grieve like unbelievers, because there's some things you can know about the believer who has died that gives you hope. And so he goes on to explain uh, what is going to happen to those who've already died. Verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep asleep. And so are they going to miss out? Are are departed believers going to miss out? Are they going to be at some kind of disadvantage? He says, no, they won't at all. In fact, they will be one of the, they'll be part of the first things that Jesus does when he returns. When it says that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, it's presupposing the resurrection of those who have died in Christ. They will be resurrected and Jesus will bring them with him as as he returns. And he says, we will not proceed those who have fallen 
asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, it's a great passage. You know, when Jesus came the first time, it was sort of quiet and fairly obscure uh, to the whole world, right? Uh, The shepherds knew and a few knew. But his second coming will be a very different thing. Uh, no one will miss it. You will not miss the second coming of Jesus. He will descend from heaven. He will shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet of God. And this shout is it's kind of this command. And at that command, the, 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 believing, the, dead who have, or the believers who have died, they will be resurrected at that command. They will rise first. And then those who are still living at Jesus' return, they'll, they'll be joined together with them, verse 17. Then, so they'll, they'll, be, they'll rise first. Then, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we shall always be with the Lord. This term caught up is, is where we get the term rapture from. It's the, the Latin translation of this expression is where, where the word rapture comes. And so, it's this idea of being yeah, caught up, snatched away, taken away quickly. And uh, Paul says that at Jesus' return, you have the, the resurrected dead and believers caught up together with them, meet the Lord in the air. Now, the question is, do they go ahead and come down to earth and believers will go through the tribulation or do they go up for a time into heaven uh, and, and believers will be raptured and the church will not go through the tribulation? That's one of the issues we don't have time to look at today. So, um, <laughs> but that's one of the issues you, that, that's at play here um, in this passage. But we'll meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. But he says there, the, the resurrected dead and the believers on earth, he says, we'll be caught up together with them. 17 years ago, when my sister died, uh, she's 38 years old, left behind some kids. Uh, I was very familiar with this passage, but I spent a lot of time meditating on this passage at that time. And, and this preposition, with them, took on a whole new meaning because there's a promise, there's a hope there being reunited with my sister, with them. Um, we have that hope that of being reunited with those we love in Christ who've died. We have that, that hope. It still gives me hope. I find hope in this truth. And so those who are living at the time of Jesus' return will be reunited with the resurrected dead and then together we'll meet the Lord in the air and then he says, and, and, and we shall always be with the Lord. And this is our ultimate hope, right? Always being with Jesus forever. There's hope in Jesus' return. Great hope in Jesus' return. Jesus' return gives us hope as we grieve the death of fellow believers. Paul is not saying that we don't grieve. He's not saying we shouldn't grieve. And I say that because I've known some believers who have taught in light of the reality that a believer goes to heaven, well, you, you shouldn't grieve. It's wrong to grieve. That's, you know, no. Paul's saying we don't grieve as, without hope. We do grieve. We need to grieve. That's why things like grief share are important. We, we need to grieve. It's normal. It's good. It's, it's a healthy part of, of what, what needs to happen when we're separated from a loved one. But because of future realities, we do not grieve without hope. Jesus gives us that hope. That re- his return gives us that hope. Jesus' return gives us the hope of being reunited with other believers who have died. Just last night, I was actually uh, reading some news articles, and I saw this article on this family. Um, 
This woman, uh, two weeks after she found out she was pregnant, found out she had a brain tumor. And they did surgery twice, um, but they ultimately couldn't you know, remove the tumor fully. And the doctors advised her to terminate the pregnancy so they could do the most aggressive treatment possible. And this was, these, were, these were believers, and they decided they would not do that because of the life of the baby. They had this hope that, that though probably not doing that treatment would mean uh, the mom would die, the hope of knowing where she was going, this hope of being reunited, gave them the courage to make that decision. Is there hope in this truth of being reunited with believers who have died? Yeah, I mean, it causes those people in the present to make a decision about their child. This is an encouraging promise, being reunited with other believers who have died. And Paul says Jesus' return gives us a hope that we will always be with him. This is our ultimate hope, eternity with our Savior who's so good and wise and, and, and kind and loving and beautiful and gracious. And so no matter what, what life is giving you right now, no matter what difficulties no matter what painful situation you're walking through, well, you have this hope. You have this hope of being always with Jesus. And uh, other places talk about every tear is gone, every, all that is gone when we are, we are with him in his presence. This is your hope. And that's a hope that helps us endure. It's a hope that helps us persevere. Jesus' return gives us hope. And so in verse 18, Paul says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words to bring hope. Now, as you move into chapter 5, Paul continues to focus on the return of Jesus, and he tells us that Jesus' return should motivate us, should motivate us to live watchful and godly lives. Watchful and godly lives. A lot of times when it comes to end times things, what people really want to know is when Jesus, when's Jesus coming back? That's, that's what most of us are fascinated with a lot of times, but, but that's not the point of this passage or really Anywhere in scripture, the point is how should we live in light of that truth? Only God knows when Jesus has come back, but he has told us how we should live in light of that truth. We should live watchful and godly lives. And so in verse 1, he says, Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, we have no need of anything. You have no need of anything to be written to you. In other words, they'd received instruction about this. They knew the general events, but Paul feels like they need some encouragement. They need, he needs to exhort them concerning what the return of Jesus means for their daily lives. And so he says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains, upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord, that's, it's talked about all over the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. This is the day when, when God will vindicate his righteousness He'll execute judgment on his enemies. It's a day when, when God will establish his rule over the nations. Jesus will be revealed in glory. He will come and usher in salvation for God's people. And Paul says that day will come suddenly. That day will come unexpectedly. And that's the point of the two metaphors that he uses here. He says it'll be like a thief in the night. You know, uh, you don't know when the thief's coming. That's the point, right? They, they surprise you. They, you. You didn't know they were coming. And, uh, and so he says this day of the Lord will be like that. It will come when you least expect it. The other metaphor is of a woman experiencing labor pains. And, and in that metaphor, again, it's, there's a sense of suddenness, unexpectedness, but also inescapability. Um, 
You know, once real labor starts, so I'm told, um, <laughs> you kind of can't avoid it. <laughs> it's going to happen. And, and so when the day of the Lord comes, there's no escape. There's no escape from the day of the Lord when it comes. And so some will be saying, peace and safety, everything's great. Like the, the people in Noah's day, they were continuing to live in ways so far away from God while Noah built you know, peace and safety, but this day will break in and destruction will come upon them suddenly. That's the experience of those who don't know God. But for the believer, this day will be a day, and it'll come suddenly and unexpectedly for us as well, but it'll not be a day of destruction, it'll be a day of salvation, a day of deliverance. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. When he talks about being of the night and of the darkness, he's talking about those who don't know Christ. They're of the night. Those, they're of the, the darkness. And the reality was this, this is all of us, right? This is where we all were at one time. We all started here. In, in Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, For you were formerly darkness, but now your children, or your light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And so in Christ, that's our identity. Children of light. We belong to the day. And as children of light, we seek to do the things that belong to the day, not the things of the night, things that please God. We need to do those things. And so Paul says, since you know that Jesus is returning, and since you know your identity, that you're a child of the day, verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Sleep there is not literal sleep, but it's just sort of this lack of watchfulness, lack of living like you should in light of Jesus' return. So he says, for those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Knowing that Jesus is returning, knowing that we are of the day, should lead to us living watchful, godly lives. Now, the fact that Paul gives them exhortation about this, that Paul is urging them to actually live this way, suggests it's possible to not live like you're part of the day, right? You may be a, a, a child of the day, but you can conform to the actions and the lifestyle of those who belong to the night. Why else would he give this challenge, this encouragement, if it wasn't possible to sort of live that way? And he's saying it is possible to live that way, but you belong to the day. And so you need to walk as a child of light in light of the certain return of Jesus. Be sober, be watchful, live a godly life. And to do that, he says, we need to have this, this appropriate armor. Verse 8, but since we are of the day... Let us be sober. How? Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, love, hope. These are things that uh, the Thessalonians, he commended them for back in chapter 1. They, they excelled at these things, but he's saying they needed to continue to put them on. They needed to grow, continue to grow in these virtues. They needed to put them on to stand strong. They needed faith. They needed to walk in love. And, and this, this helmet of salvation is, is just this confident expectation of God's saving work. That's how they, that's how we live sober, watchful lives. In verse 9, Paul talks about our, our, our destiny. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. This is great news, right? He has delivered us. We're not destined for wrath. 
Uh, his wrath will be poured out on unbelievers on the day of the Lord, but believers will, will be rescued from his wrath. Uh, we've been uh, destined for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So escape from wrath, but also all the blessings of the gospel. That's our destiny. That's salvation in Christ. The basis for our salvation is what Jesus did at his first coming. He died for us so that we could have life, so that we could live together with him. And so, Paul says, whether at the time of Jesus' return you're awake, in other words, alive, or asleep, you've already died in Christ, we have the promise that we will live together with him forever. Jesus is returning, and that future reality that we know should have bearing on our present lives. We should live watchful, godly lives. Now, if you've ever uh, taken a look at our uh, doctrinal statement, our statement of faith, uh, this whole thing that we've talked about is addressed in, in the ninth article of our statement of faith. And the second part of the article nine says it this way. It says, The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. It's exactly what Paul's talked about here in chapter 5 of Thessalonians. It demands constant expectancy, and it should motivate the believer to godly living. Now, this statement also adds sacrificial service, energetic mission. That's talked about in other places in Scripture. This passage does talk about godly living, and uh, the fact that Jesus is coming back, we should be motivated uh, in light of that, to live godly lives. Think about the stories Jesus told his followers of the master who, who gives his servants things to do. He entrusts them res- with responsibilities and he goes away. The master goes away. And there's things that those servants are supposed to be about day after day after day until the master comes back, right? And so how are you going to be doing the right thing when the master gets back? It's it, every day you do the right thing. Every day you do the right thing. And so the master comes back, and there's some that are doing the right thing. There's some that aren't. But those that are doing the right thing, what do they hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Because they were living in a way that was consistent with the return of the master. And, and it's so, tr- so too for us. We need to live in ways that are consistent with the return of our master. Jesus' return should motivate us to live watchful, godly lives. Are you living in a way that's consistent with the return of Christ? Are you living in a way that will cause Jesus to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Again, we're never perfect, right? There's grace, there's forgiveness, but, but is your life oriented towards a life of pleasing God? Is your life oriented towards growth in Christ? Or would you say, that as you examine your life, the reality is, you know, I haven't really been real alert and sober. There's ways I've adopted sort of a lifestyle of those who are, who are of darkness. Are there things in your life that if Jesus were to come back this afternoon, there would be a sense of embarrassment and shame and regret? Things that you would say, if I only knew he was coming back today, I would have dealt with that thing. I would have worked harder to put that away, put that sin to death, to live differently. If you were here last week, 
you know, we looked at the first part of chapter 4 and, uh, on, on sexual purity, sexual integrity. And in that passage, he says, you know, our calling is for sanctification, that we abstain from sexual immorality. And so that's how we're to live in light of the return of Christ. But that sanctification, again, doesn't just apply to abstaining from sexual immorality. It's every area of life. It's every area of life. And so it's seeing the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. It's, it's, we're to be growing in all of these things, holiness in every area of life. I'm guessing for most of us, we feel a need for the truth that Jesus is returning to kind of have a kind of settle deeper in our soul as a motivating factor. I do anyway. I'm, I, sometimes I just, uh, I'm so distracted about life here and there's so much that I love about life here. It's hard for me to actually think about the return of Jesus. Uh, the reality is sometimes I think the more we experience pain and difficulties, the more we tap into that reality. Uh, and so have been experiencing some of that. But, but I think for most of us, we don't think enough about the return of Jesus. So let me, let me give you a, kind of an assignment for this week, just this week. I mean, if you can keep doing it, it'd be great, but sometimes it's hard to like, commit to something for a really long time. So here's an assignment for this week. Think about one area of your life that you, you really have some, some sense of, you know, I need to, this is an area I need to deal with. This is an area that, that I will wish, if Jesus would return today, this is an area I wish I would deal with. And uh, my encouragement this week, maybe in, in kind of in a daily way, Think about that area in light of the return of Jesus. Think about the reality that Jesus is coming back in a a time when you do not know. Meditate and pray about how do I really want to be living in this area in light of this truth that Jesus has come back. See if you could just sort of discipline yourself for, for seven days in a row to think about that, to meditate on that truth, to sort of let the truth of Jesus come back begin to have some effect on that area. Because it really should. The, the fact that he is coming back it really should. How, what do you want to be true that moment when Jesus shows up and you're in his presence? And, and let that truth motivate you to begin to pursue some things, to, to get rid of some things, to, to take on the character that you know would please God. Verse 11 then, because of all of this, Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So they were doing this, but he's telling them to continue to do it. These truths that the return of Christ should, should cause us to live watchful, godly lives, these are things that we need to encourage one another. We need to build up one another. In other words, I think he's saying that, that, that we, need help. we need to help each other remember Jesus returning. We need to help each other remember how we should live in light of it. And so that's what we should do. It's ways that we should interact with each other. He's calling us to kind of a mutual ministry of doing this. Jesus' return gives us great hope. Jesus' return should motivate us to live watchful, godly lives. So we come to the end. I want to take a few moments just to to say a few things to those of you who are here and you've not yet trusted Jesus. I mean, we're really glad you're here. We're glad you're learning. We're glad you're in that whole process. This passage is written to be a source of encouragement to those who do believe, but there's a real warning here for those who do not yet believe in Jesus, right? There's a strong warning. Paul's essentially saying there are two types of people who are going to experience two very different things at Jesus' return, and this is inescapable, inescapable. To those who have trusted Jesus for forgiveness of sin, the return of Jesus will be a day of joy and victory and salvation and good things. 
for those, for whatever reason, have not trusted in Jesus, this will be a day of judgment and destruction. And like the, the, the labor pains metaphor, it is inescapable. It's inescapable. And my appeal to you is that you would heed the warning here. That you would humble yourself, that you would come to Jesus, and that you would not delay. Because it will come at the time when you least expect it, like a, like a thief in the night. So today's the day to get serious about this. Jesus came his first time. He died on a cross as payment for your sin. He rose from the dead, victorious, to give you spiritual life. When we're of the darkness, we're spiritually dead. We cannot know God. We can go to church and we can do stuff. We can do all sorts of good things. But we cannot be in relationship with God unless Jesus comes into our life and gives us spiritual life. You can't earn it. You can't try to clean your whole life up first and then say, Jesus, I'm going to come to you. No, we, we just come with our brokenness and our weakness and our sinfulness and all of our yuck. And we just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I need that. I receive that. Some of you today know this is a decision you need to make. Some of you are ready to make this decision. And so as we close, I want to just offer a prayer that you could pray just silently in your your seat, you praying to Jesus. And this prayer that I will offer, it's not like these are magical words, like if if you don't really mean it, but I said it, then it counts. No, I mean, God is looking at your heart. What matters is faith. You really are placing your trust in him. But these words are a way to express that faith. And so if you feel like, I've just never done this, and I want to, I would invite you to pray after me. Again, silently in your heart, just talking to Jesus, you can pray this prayer. And so, let's pray. Jesus, I do confess that I need you. I acknowledge that I have sinned against you in thought and word in deed. I've sinned against you by things that I have done. And I've sinned against you by not doing things I should have done. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and for my sin. You paid the penalty for my sin, and so I trust you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead victorious to give me spiritual life. I invite you to come into my life, take control of my life, help me to walk as a child of the light. If you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to... uh, to tell someone, I would also tell you that uh, if that was your genuine heart, if you prayed that in faith, God has heard you, God has answered, Jesus has come into your life and forgiven you, you're a child of the light. Father, for the rest of us, we're so grateful for the reality that we have hope because of Jesus' return. Help us to live in light of that hope and uh, help us to live with kind of a soberness, a watchfulness knowing that uh, there's going to be a way of life that just is going to make so much sense. The day Jesus returns, it's going to be so clear that we wish we would have lived a certain way. Help us to live now in light of that reality. Help us not wait. Help us not be kind of sloppy in terms of how we live our lives. Help us to live as children of light, sons and daughters of the King. Help us to live with this reality that you are coming back, Jesus, and live in a way that's consistent with that. We pray in your name. Amen.